0: And may he continue to be a supporter of Torah and all holy uh, projects. Amen. Today's daf has been dedicated by Mr. Victor Gindi, Hashem Mishmireh V'hayyehu, for continued Hatzlacha in all his uh, endeavors, continued success, B'ri'ut, health, happiness, and all good things. Amen. Today's <laughs> daf is being studied by Aydun Nishmat Avraham bin Esther. Ruach Hashem Tanihanu begin Aydin Amen. Today's daf is being studied by Yosef bin Sarah, Rahamim bin Adel, and Sarah bat Rachel. El alifan el lahim betokhshi arhola amu Israel. Amen. Today's daf is being studied by Aydun Nishmat Sophia bat Frida. Ruach Hashem Tanihanu begin Aydin Amen. We begin today's daf on nun alif amudrishon. And we are on the second line. And the Gemara begins. Hahu yatom there was a brothers and sister. They were Yetomim. And what happened, there was an Apotropos, meaning there was an uh, administrator that was dealing with the estate and the assets of the Yetomim. Now the Yetoma wants to get uh, Mizunot. So therefore she came to Betim. So the Qibarah says, They came in front of Rabah, which means the Yatoma now wants to get supported from the estate. So Rabah said, Give the boy extra money from the estate. He's telling the administrators that. In order that the Yitamah can be supported. Which means, make sure that the boy gets a little extra so he can give from that money to support his sister. de Amar which means, you yourself, Ravah said, that when it comes to the mizonot of the yetomah, of the sisters, of the girls, you don't take it from metal-tilling movables, you only take it from karka, And that's ben le mezonah, whether it's for the mizonot, the food that's needed to support the girls, ben le ketubah, whether it's the payment of the ketubah, or ben le farnassah, or for the nidunya. That is for the dowry that the father sets aside after he dies in order to make the wedding for his for his daughter. So all that comes from karka. So why was Rabbah saying now that they should give extra money to the yatom? <coughs> I thought it doesn't come from ital Talim, this payment. Amar <laughs> So he said, Rabah Trachamim ilu yahavinale. So the Gabbara says, if let's say the Shi'atom needed a servant, they needed a maid, so wouldn't the administrator of the estate give him money in order to pay for a maid in order to serve him? They would give him the money. Certainly in this case, it was dealing with his own sister, which means you get two things. Number one, you're feeding the Yatoma, and number two, she'll serve him as well. So therefore it's no different than a maid that would also be paid from the estate. So therefore you're getting two mitzvot, you're getting or two benefits. First of all, you're giving the yetoma money, and uh, the money would have been spent anyway, and she could serve him as well. Comes the Gemara now, is going to bring a mahlokat regarding this subject of the yetoma, from what type of assets can she be supported from? Talorabbanam, we have a brayta. Echad aharayut, whether it's nechassim that have aharayut. Now, whenever the Gemara uses this language, aharayut, <speaking in Hebrew> That's a reference to karkaot. That's a reference to real estate, property. Because the uh, person that is lending the money, he is like guaranteed that he's going to get paid. Because he knows he can always take it from the real estate. Meaning even if the real estate is sold there's a lien on that property, and therefore it's like nechassim uh, assets that have liability, we'll call them. And that's referring to karka. So the Geberah says, nechassim sheyesh lahim acharayyut, which is referring to karkah, ve'echad nichasim sheen lahim Well, that's referring to regular metal which is regular movables, mozi'in lemzon isha v'la banot, rabbi. So rabbi says clearly, that we take money, set aside to the inheritors in order to support the widow and the girls. That's the opinion of the B. So that's a very significant opinion. We must keep that in mind. That the B holds that the Yetumot, the orphan girls and the widow is supported even from movables. And of course certainly Karka. However, we have another Sheetah, Rabish M on ben Il Azaromer. Rabishman bin el Azar comes and argues and says, So first she discussed the laws regarding karka, regarding assets that have liability, which means land. Motsien Labanot Min Habbanim, which means we take from the boys. Which means the yatom, the yatomim, in order to support the girls. Which means the girls are supported for their mizonot and for their panasah, which is the Nidunya, which is the dowry. You take it from the karka, from the land of the yatomim. That's case number one. Case number two, labanot min habanot. Which means, in this case over here, we're talking about, let's say, a person died without sons. All he has is daughters. So the daughters inherit. Now, let's say he had older daughters, gidolot, and he had ketanot, and he had small daughters. And what happened, the bigger daughters, they took all the assets for themselves, or they took, let's say, more than their share is due to them. So the deen is, mutsi'in, labbanot, minabbanot. We take from the older Girls and give it to these smaller ones, which means they divide the estate equally. Furthermore, vilabbanim <laughs> minhabbanim. Let's say a person dies and he leaves yetumim, boys, and he leaves kittanim, young boys, and he leaves gidolim. Now, let's say the gidolim, the older boys, they took the assets for themselves, or they took more, let's say, than they deserve, so the betim will step in, and they'll split the assets among all the children, all the boys, equally. Furthermore, min mirubim. Which means, let's say a father died, and he left boys and girls. So the law is that if, let's say, there is significant assets, which means nechaseim mirubim, a lot of money, so then the boys get the assets, and they support their sisters from the properties. The case of here is talking about, well, let's say the girls that were gedolot, they took the properties themselves, for themselves, for their mezunot. So the law is that we take it from the girls and give it to the boys in order for them to have it as Yirusha and they will support their sisters from it. So that's what it means when it says, Labbanim مِنْ banot. That we take the estate, the property from the girls, and we give it to the boys, and of course they will support them from it. That's only when there's a lot of uh, assets, a lot of Yerusha. Avam uh, lo banim banot muatim. But let's say again, a father dies, he leaves boys and girls. However, there was nicheasi uh, muatim. There was few uh, assets, which means he did not leave a lot. And therefore the law is in that case that we give it to the girls in order they can sustain themselves and the boys, they'll go and collect. Because we don't want to give it uh, to the boys because then there's not going to be enough for them to support the girls and the girls are going to have to collect. And it's not mechubad, uh, it's not respectful that the girls should have to go collect. So that's the law of nechasim she yesh Now the Brayta continues in the opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben El Hazar to tell us the law of nechasim she en And we continue the Gemara. Nechasim she en lah which means metaltilim which means movables moziim labanim min Habbanim, which means we take from the uh, banim, let's say the Gidolim, let's say the father died and he left uh Boys, only boys, and some of them are gedolim, and some of them are ketanim. And the gedolim took the assets for themselves, or they took, let's say, more than they should, evenly. So the law is that we take from the older boys, and divide it evenly with the younger boys. That's bamim, labanim. Labanot, men similarly, let's say a fellow only left girls. And therefore, the girls are yoresh equally, but let's say the older ones took more than they deserve. So the law would be that we divide it up equally, we take from them, and divide it equally with the younger girls as well. banim min ha'banot, which means, let's say a guy left boys and girls, and the girls grabbed the yidusha and they took it from the boys. So the deen would be that we give the uh, assets to the boys. So banim we give to the boys, min from the girls. Aval, however, this case is different, Lo I'm sorry, lo which means when it comes to metal when it comes to movable items, in order to let's say support the girls for their mezonot or for their panasa, which means their dowry, we do not take from the boys in order to give to the girls. Because again, you see, according to the this is the key line of the Brayta. That what? لَبَنُوتْ مِنَا When it comes to movables, we don't take the movables from the boys in order to support the girls. That means according to Rabbi Shavu al Hazar, the support of the yetumot only comes from property, but does not come from metal mitaltilin. That's why the brahita says, لَبَنُوتْ مِنَا We don't take from the banim to give the banot. So we see we have a great mahlukah here between Rabbi and Rabbi Shavu min al Hazar. Whereas Rabbi says you even support them from metal Rabbi Shem'umin al-Azhar says you only support the Yitohot from Karka. So the Geburah concludes Afagav the Kaimalan. Halakha ki Rabbi Even though we have a general principle that when Rabbi argues against one of his colleagues, Halakha follows Rabbi Halakha, in this case an, ex- an exception Halakha ki Rabbi Shem'umin al-Azhar is going to follow Rabbi Shem'umin al that what? That you only take the Mezonot and the panasa, uh, which is the nidunya, which is the dowry, for the yetomot, only comes from karka. Why? Because the law is it's taken from karka and not from metalteling. This refers to the ikar kituba payment that a lady gets, which means I'll say she's a bitulat at two hundred or she's a at one hundred. That comes from only the real estate ben the That's referring to the support of the yitomot ben the panazah. That's talking about the money that's set aside for a dowry. So all those payments come from karka and not metalterin. Comes the next Mishnah and gives an interesting scenario. Lo katav la Let's say a fellow when he got married, he didn't write for his wife a ketubah. And then let's say either he divorced her or she became a widow. So the deen is betula gova doesn't matter. A will still get paid the 200 zoos that is coming to her. The almanan, if she was an almana, Maneh, She gets the 100 zoos that's coming, which is even though he did not officially write a kituba. Doesn't matter. She gets paid. because that's already a condition that the betin establishes. That when everybody, somebody gets married, it's automatically obligates himself according to betin that is going to have to pay this payment. So even if he didn't write it officially. It doesn't matter. He still must make the payment. So it seems that there were certain places that had menhagim not to write kitubot. And therefore the is coming to say that even in those places that they didn't have the custom to write an official document called the kitubah, still the payment had to be made. Now, if you remember earlier on that uh, Yud, we learned that the obligation to give a kitubah to a betulah it was a makhluket, if that's a law from the Torah, or it's a law from the Hachamim. Now, even according to the opinion that says that it is from the Torah, or, or, or actually this is Machlub, some say it's mid and some say it is from the Torah, but over here, it says it's Tanai Betim. It sounds like it's a rabbinical enactment that the Betim enforces. So therefore the Mefarshim say that even according to the opinion that says that the Ikar ketubah is from the Torah, they agree that the amount, meaning the 200 zoos, that figure, that already is a rabbinical amount. So even if you want to say that the payment of a ketubah is the but the amount is already rabbinical, therefore, even if you didn't write the ketubah, betin will enforce the payment. Comes the Mishnah and continues, mm-hmm. which means, let's say he married a betula, so he's obligating himself to pay, obviously, 200 zuz, but instead of Obligating himself 200 Jesus, he said, You could take the ketubah payment from this field, even though the field was only worth a hundred. So the Gemara says that, Velo tavla kol nechasin itli, and he did not write all the assets that I own, niktubatech, are going to be responsible for the ketubah. Which means he just said this field. Now that field was less than 200. So the deen is hayav. It doesn't matter. He still is going to have to pay the 200. And he can't say, hey listen, I wrote in the kitubah that you could take your payment from this field. And the field's only worth 100. No, he still has to pay the full 200. Why? Mepine shehu tenai bed din Again, because that is an establishment that the made. And therefore bed din will enforce that the kitubah is Paid in full. Comes the Mishnah and continues. If you remember we learned earlier that one of the conditions of a Ketubah is that if a wife is taken into captivity, Shalom, so the uh, captors are asking for a ransom, so the obligation of the husband based on a condition of the Ketubah is that he must pay the ransom for his wife. Now let's say in the Ketubah he did not write that. The Mishnah says, He did not write in the Ketubah, If you are taken into captivity, I will redeem you. And I will take you back as a wife. He didn't write that. Now in a normal marriage, not a vague Kohenet, if a lady is taken into captivity and she is violated against her will, she is permissible, to go back to her husband. But let's say he did not write that in the Ketubah. He did not say that if you get taken into captivity, I will redeem you and take you back as a wife. Or let's say he married a Kohenet. He did not write in the Ketubah, that I will return you to your father's house. Because in a case of a um, Kohenet, even if she is violated against her will, she is forbidden to the husband. And therefore, he has an obligation to redeem her, but return her to the father's house. Let's say he did not write that in the Ketubah. Mishnah says, doesn't matter, Hayav. He still has to do that to redeem her. tenai <laughs> beddin. So again, it's a takanab d'achamim. And the, even if he didn't write it, they will enforce it that why wow, It's his obligation to redeem his wife. Now the Mishnah gives another case, Nishbit. Let's say the lady was taken into captivity, so his obligation is to redeem her, to pay the ransom. But let's say the husband said, after she was taken into captivity, he said the following, He comes along and says, listen, I'm going to divorce her right now, and she'll get her ketubah, and let her redeem herself with her own money that she's getting from the ketubah, let her redeem herself. He does not uh, release himself from the obligation. And the Mishnah says a second case, which means once she is taken into captivity, he is obligated to redeem her. That is his obligation. He cannot now divorce her and say, well, here's the Ketubah, go redeem yourself. The deen is he must redeem her. Now, Lakta, this is another case. Let's say she got sick. Now, part of the obligation of a husband that he obligates himself is he must take care of the uh, wife and pay for the medical bills. Like the Mishnah says, lakta, if she became sick, hayav lerapota. That's included in the mezolot. When we say a husband has to support his wife, he also is obligated to pay for the uh, medical expenses. Now, let's say she got sick. Now the husband comes along and says, amar haregita uktubata. Here I'll divorce her and she'll get the Ketubah payment, and she'll uh, pay the medical expenses from the Ketubah. In that case, he has a right to do that. Mm Now the Mefarshim over here, they ask the obvious question. What is the difference between, when it comes to redeeming herself, once she's taken into captivity, the husband may not say that, here is her get, and let her pay her way out from a ketubah. But when it comes to the fu'ah, when she gets sick, he may say such a thing. So different answers were explained. One explanation is as follows. That once a lady is taken into captivity, the obligation is on him immediately to redeem her. So he cannot push off that responsibility by saying, well, I'll get you a divorce, and you pay for it yourself. The obligation is on him immediately. However, when it comes to the fu'ah, well, each day is considered a separate uh, obligation, so to speak. Which means, uh, today he has obligation to, let's say, uh, uh, pay for the medical bills, but all the medical bills do not come on him in one shot. It's not an obligation that he has to pay for all the medical expenses the first day. It's, it's gradual. And therefore he can pay until he wants to pay. And then if he wants to give, get divorced, she could pay it herself. <laughs> the entire ransom is on him immediately. Others... Uh, explain that when the Hakameen they established that the reason why a husband has to pay Mizonot, has to pay for his wife's uh, Mizonot to support her, is because he gets Maaseyadeha because he gets her work. So in lieu of the money that she gives him from her work, so he gives back Mizonot. Mashi'enki, when it comes to the reason why he has to redeem her, that's for a different reason. That's because the husband has had rights to eat perot, to eat fruit that she brought in from the ketubah, let's say from her fields, he gets to eat the fruit. So it's from the benefit that he has, or had I should say, so therefore he's obligated to redeem her. So therefore sins when it comes to redemption, you have to redeem for a past obligation because since you ate perot for all these years so now you're obligated to redeem so therefore you can't come along and say well here's divorce and pay your way out no you've been eating perot for all these years now you have to redeem when it comes to the mizonot. the law of the mizonot is I'm only getting mizonot. I'm giving you mizonot because I'm getting mahasiyah there and now I'm getting divorced and therefore, I'll stop from today on taking your money from your work. You'll get the money from your work, and you pay for your doctor bills yourself. So, which means going forward, I'm giving you back. Uh, I, I supported you until this point based on the masei the, the, the that you gave me, and now from this day on, uh, uh, you keep the masei for yourself. That's the hiluk that the rishonim want to make. In any event, now the gemara is trying to establish who the author. Of our Mishnah is so the Gemara asks, "Mani, meaning who is the Tanna of our Mishnah that said that a lady gets the money of the Ketubah regardless, even if it's not written? Even if the Ketubah is not written, she gets paid." So the Gemara says, "Rabbi Meiri, it's actually Rabbi Meiri." The Amar called her pohet the if let's say a fellow writes a kitubah, and he writes less than 200, or let's say, almana he writes to an amana less than 100, which means it is forbidden to live with her, because we assume that the lady is not mohel, she wants to get the full kitubah, and therefore it's not considered a marriage, and therefore the full 200 has to be paid. So we want to say that the Mishnah is actually following... The B, meir, that what? That a lady gets the full two hundred, and if let's say he writes in the ketuba less than uh, two hundred, so therefore it is verilat zinut. It's considered zinut because the lady is not somechdat for such a marriage, and therefore cannot stay married to such a lady. The However, if you want to say that what Amishna's is going to beuda cannot be, Ha'amar he said, Ratsa kotev shtar matayim. A fellow can write for his wife a ketubah for two hundred. Vehi kotevin, and she can write in return. Even before she gets paid the kitubah, but she can write in be- return, I already received from you 100, which means she has a right to be on part of her kitubah, as if she can say, it's okay, I'll make it as if I got half the payment already. Well, mane, he could write for his wife a kitubah for an the money, and she can write in return like a receipt, 50 zoos. Yeah, I got from you already uh, 50 zoos. And uh, even though he didn't, uh, she didn't give the 50 zoos, but the point is she gave him mochel for a ketubah payment. So therefore our Mishnah that said, look, have ketubah. Well, let's say you did not write the lady ketubah, so our Mishnah, it's, mashma, it's including all cases, which means he didn't write the ketubah, not only that he didn't write the ketubah for himself, but let's say she was mohel. She, himself, she herself said, it's okay. Uh, you don't have to uh, write the uh, kitubah, which means that was the uh, uh, the condition that they made originally. And like she was uh, mohel. But the Mishnah says, it doesn't matter. You still have to give the full amount of the kitubah. So obviously that's shittat of Rabbi Meir. That you're not allowed to give less than mm-hmm. the uh, prescribed measure. Whereas according to the Be'udah, even if you don't give the full amount, it's okay. So again, Al-Mishnah that said, if you didn't write a Ketubah, she gets 200 regardless, is going like the Bimi'id, which is much from Al-Mishnah, that the wife cannot be, we don't take the Mihilab, the wife, seriously, which means even if there was no Kitubah, the payment still has to be uh, 200. So comes again what says "Fine. So you want to say the of our Mishnah is actually following Sefa. But now we bring a question from the Sefa of the Mishnah. It says in the Sefa, Emah Sefa, Katav la Sadeh shave Maneh. Matayim Zuz. Let's say he wrote in the Kituba that she can get her payment from a field that's worth a hundred, and uh, instead of the two hundred. And he did not write that all my assets are going to be um, responsible for your kitubah payment. He's still obligated to pay the 200 zoos, which means from other assets. Which means he cannot come along and say, well, I only obligated myself from that field. Why? Because that is a condition of the betting that all the fields... Even though he did not write them in the kitubah, they have a lien on them. What does he mean a lien on them? That if he would sell them, the lady can go to those fields and actually get her payment. Even though he did not delineate them in the kitubah. Let's say he so said you can get paid from field A. Doesn't matter. Let's say field A is only worth 100, and he sold field B. The lady is allowed to go to the buyer on field B and say, listen, I had a lien on it from before you and take it. So the Gabbara says, Adam that's actually following Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, de'amar aharayut Ta'ut Which means Rabbi Yehuda has an interesting shita. He says like this, let's say a fellow lends his friend money and they write a shtar, they write a document. Right, and the fellow says, listen, I'm obligating you, I'm obligating to pay, let's say, $100 to so-and-so. Now normally when you write a shtar, you include that if you do not pay uh, in cash, the, the money that you owe me, I am going to put a lien on your fields, and therefore any field that you sell from today, there's a lien on it and I can take it. That's the normal way you write a start. So the Biudashita shita is let's say you, don't, you didn't write that in the start. So Rabbi that says, you still can go after the fields, even though you don't write it explicitly in the shtar, because you assume it was a of it. You can assume that the scribe that was writing the shtar, he made a mistake, he left it out. And therefore you don't say, well if they left it out, that means uh, they're not going uh, to put the fields as a lien in, these, in this transaction. You say, no, it is indeed a of it. So therefore, the same thing over here. When the husband writes only from this field, and he didn't write any other fields, you say it doesn't matter. Even though he didn't put any other fields as uh, uh, collateral for the ketubah, it doesn't matter. It's considered that the husband, the wife, still can go and pay. Even though it's not written, we consider it as if it is written. But the bimy doesn't say that. a harayut lav taud soferu. He says no. If you didn't write about fields in the sh'tar, we don't consider it taud sofer. We don't consider it as if the sofer forgot and therefore you will not be able to go after fields. Now, how do we know this machloket between the and the bimyir? because we have a mishnah in Baba Metzia, matzah shtere which means let's say you found a star in the street, that says so-and-so is hayav to pay so-and-so money, when is hayav to on money. Now they don't know who the star fell from. Did the star fall from the malveh? If the star fell from the malveh, then you could use it to get payment, which means if the, if the one that, the lender, if it fell from him, so you could use it, but if it fell from the borrower, usually after the uh, lender uh, gets his money back, he gives it back to the borrower, and the borrower rips it up. So we don't know now who the start fell from. the fell from the Malveh or the Loveh. So the deen is like this. bein yut mechasim. If in the start it says that if the payment is not paid, you can go after uh, land, which means they put a lien on the lands, Lo Yazir. So the law is, you cannot give this shtar back to the malveh she betin nifra'imahin because betin will go after the fields based on such a shtar. So what's the problem? So the concern of is, we're concerned about trickery. We're concerned like this, maybe the loveh really paid back the malveh. But what happens, now the malveh and the loveh are in cahoots, which means the shtar got lost, right? Now the Lovet himself comes along and says, yes, I admit, I owe so-and-so the money, and uh, it came from, this dropped from the Malveh, and I own the money. But I don't have it. Why is he doing that? Because now the Malveh will be able to go and take from the properties that the Lovet sold. And what are we concerned about? That the Lovet and the Malveh are in cahoots. They're going to take that property and split it between them. So therefore, since betting is going to take the shtar seriously, because it has in it, it has in it karka, it has a lien on the properties, and we don't know where it fell from, so you have to be concerned that really maybe the loan was paid already, and now the loven and the and if Therefore, loven says, yes, I owe the guy the money, but I don't have it. The maverin will go after the properties that the loven sold and they'll split it. So if we do not give it back to either of them however but if let's say was not written in the shtar anything about Karka, there was no liens on properties written in the shtar so then already you can give it back to the malveh because since it's not written in the shtar bittin does not consider it ta'ud sofer. And therefore, if it's not written, it's not written. And therefore, if the lovech claims and says, "Yes, I own the money," so therefore, give it back to the malvech, and the malvech can get payment. I'm not worried about them taking any karka, because since the karka was not written in the Shtar, they cannot get paid from it. So therefore, you see, karka has to be written. And if it's not written, you cannot get paid from it. Whether it's karka is written in the or whether it's not, do not return it to the malvech because even when karka is not in betim will go after the fields why? because we assume the principle of so let's go back to al-mishnah al-mishnah that said at the end that if the husband only wrote karka in the shtar that was worth a hundred doesn't matter the wife can even go after other properties which means there's a lien on the other properties even if the husband sold other properties she can go after it so you see what? that we go with the biuda at the end of the Mishnah, it says, even though it's not written, we consider it like it's a ta'ut and therefore she can go after kaka, that's the shita of Uda. However, the resha we explained is following bi Meir, because the resha of our Mishnah said that if a person doesn't write the Ketub, he's still obligated to 200, which means the 200 is non-negotiable. So the Gevara says, resha, Rabbi Meir, sefar bi-udah. which means, this is a strange Mishnah, that the resha is following the shita of Rabbi. Meir and the sephas following the shita of Rabbi Yehuda. So the Gemara says, maybe you'll argue and you'll contend and you'll say that the whole mishnah is Rabbi Meir. Veshani le Rabbi Miir ben And maybe the Meir makes a difference between kitubah and shtarot, which means maybe by a regular star, according to Rabbi Meir, he's going to say what that. A regular shtar, we consider, that, 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 again, that the will, I'm sorry, will make a chiluk between a kituba and uh, other shtarot, which means that even though by other shtarot, he says, we don't say ta'ot sofer, okay. we say that if the karka is not written in the shtar itself, then we're not going to go after karka, that's by regular shtarot, by regular loans. But maybe he'll say by kituba, even though it's not written in the shtar, you can go get paid from, the fields, and therefore the whole Mishnah, the Resha and the Sefa, is Ali Badr bimi'ir. The cannot make that Does he make that difference? We have a brighter. Hamisha govin minam hurerin. Which means, there are five different uh, cases, that the payment is only made from mehurerin. Mehurerin is fields that were not sold. Which means that the guy pays from fields that he has, but the um, fellow that's collecting cannot go after properties that were sold. Those fields are called mechurereen, which literally means free fields, fields that were not sold yet. Which means the creditor can only get from fields that the uh, debtor has in his possession, but not that he sold yet. And these are the five examples. Mm -hmm. Number one, ve'iluhayn pirot. Now, what is this case of Perot? It's an interesting case. Let's say a fellow sold, well, we'll say the Uven sold Shimon a field that did not belong to the Uven. The Uven stole the field. And he subsequently sold it to Shimon. Now, Shimon planted it, the field grew fruit, and they're produced. Now, all of a sudden, Levi, that's the one that the field got stolen from, he comes to Shimon and he takes back the field with the fruit because that's the law the owner of the field has a right to come back and repossess his field with the, with the fruit and now Shimon that bought it he's going back to the thief Reuven and he wants his money so the law is that Reuven has to pay now Shimon is allowed to uh, take from even Reuven's properties that he sold from that time. Which means there's a lien on the Uven's property. Shabun go and even to people that bought Uven's properties and take them for himself. There's a lien. But that's only for the field itself. But for the um, but for the fruit he can only take from the uh, properties that are in the uven's possession. So therefore there's a difference between the actual field itself and the perot, because when Shimon bought the field, he bought the actual field plus the Perot. So the Hiddush is that when he gets paid back from the Uven, the Perot he can only take from fields that are in the Uven's possession. That is the first of the cases. Mm. Ushbach Perot what is Similar case. Uh, Reuven sells uh, Shimon a field that's not his, okay? And now the uh, Shimon elevated the field, which means the field became he tilled it, he worked it, he planted it, he did, and the, uh, let's say he uh, put the fertilizers, etc. So now the field is worth more money and now Levi comes along and he says listen hey that's my field so he takes it from Shimon Shimon wants to go back to the to the oven and get uh, paid so for the actual field itself he can take from properties even that the oven sold but for the shwach but for the um, for the uh, for the amount that the field went up in value so that he only can take from uh, regular uh, properties he cannot take from the uh, fields that Uven sold. So those are the two cases that you see why he can only get paid by perot, which means for the fruit, the actual fruit itself, or the enhancement of the field itself. Uh, The money that he spent to enhance the field, that's the uh, enhancement, he can only get paid from uh, properties that Uven has. The next one, that, Let's say you have a husband that he accepts upon himself at the time that he got married to support his wife's son or his wife's daughter. So again, that only he has to support only from uh, the obligation is on his fields, but not fields that he sells. The get hov bo aharayut. Now, get over here is not referring to a divorce paper, it's referring to a document, a regular ishtar. A regular document, that let's say it's just a loan that does not, uh, that writes clearly that it's only monetary and there's no liens, it's clearly written. Uh, no liens on properties. Uh, so the, 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 the fifth case is, <coughs> that a ketubah of a lady, Also, there is no Aharayyut, which means you can only take from uh, fields, but not fields that were sold. So you see clearly, according to Rabbi Me'id, he does not make a chiduk between a regular shtar, chob, a a shtar of a creditor, or a kituba, which means if in both shtarot, it's not written about the real estate, so you assume that what you cannot get paid from the real estate that was sold. So therefore, again, how did our not say in the Sefa, ah, that wa, that in the Ketubah, if you just wrote one field and you didn't write the other fields, still the lady can go after the other fields. What do you mean? If it's not stipulated in the Ketubah, there's no difference. Just like in the start, if it's not stipulated in the Ketubah, it's not stipulated also. So therefore Amrish says, and who's the opinion of this Braita, incidentally, that says these five cases? Man shamate Who's the opinion that says that when a shtar does not have harayut in it, does not have fields in it, that we don't say it's a ta'ut sofer, and therefore we go collect from the fields, And so therefore this statement, this Braita, must be going like ribiniir. And what does it say at the end of the Braita? kitubat isha. And one of the cases is a Ketubah Disha. That since it's not written that she, she, she can get, get from the fields, we don't assume that it's a mistake from the sofet that he left it out. And therefore, there's no difference no, in the regular Mishnah and the Ketubah. So the Mishnah I cannot be the Bimeer. So we're back to the question, who is the author of our Mishnah? So the Kabbalah gives two possible answers. Rabbi If you want, I could say the entire Mishnah is Rabbi Me'ir. Or if you want, I could say the entire Mishnah is Rabbi Yehudah. The Gabbana goes on. If you want, I could say what? The Mishnah is Entirely to be Which means, I have no problem with the Sefa. The Sefa, the Mishnah is perfect according to the Biyuda. So the Sefa, the Mishnah says, that if you didn't write Ahlayut, it's considered like a Ta'ud and therefore the lady can go even after the properties that were not mentioned in the Kitubah. Good, that's to the Shitat the Problem is in the beginning. The beginning of the Mishnah said that if you don't write a Kitubah, you still have to give the lady 200. But in another case, the Biyuda said, that you don't have to give the lady the full 200. The proof is, if you wrote in the Kitubah 200, and she says... I'll consider as if you gave me half of it, but you should give me mohel So the Gemara says, no, there's a difference. which means yes. In that case, over there, she clearly writes a mohel for hefty ketubas. So in that case, to be that we'll say that our is considered a mehilah, and therefore she loses half her ketubah. Haha, no katvale here she didn't say I received half the Ketubah which means the Ketubah wasn't written and therefore she wasn't actually mohel anything explicitly so Rabbi Uda will agree that in the case where you did not write a Ketubah she's expecting the full 200 and therefore she gets the full 200 so therefore the Resha can be even according to Rabbi Uda Iba'i Rabbi or I could say it's Rabbi Ah, uh, so we have a question how could it say at the end of the Mishnah that if they did not if he only wrote one field in the Ketubah It says, Hayav. Now we understood Hayav, meaning he has to pay her, not only from that field that he delineated in the Ketubah, but she can even get paid from other fields that were sold. But that's not Bibi Shita. So the Torah says, My Hayav Diktani, what does it mean, Hayav? That says in the uh, Mishnah, Minam Horarin. Only yeah, from fields that are still in his possession, which means to be me in the Hayab, don't learn the mishnah means hayab. She can go to fields that were sold. No, she cannot go to fields that were sold. She can go to the field that was delineated in the ketubah, and from other fields that are still in the possession of the of the husband. But she cannot go to other fields since they were not mentioned specifically in the ketubah. <coughs> Yamara continues from a quote from our mishnah. One of the conditions of a ketubah is that the husband has to write in the ketubah if you were taken into captivity if I'm going to redeem you and I'll take you back as a wife, so the Mishnah said if you didn't write that in the ketubah, it doesn't matter because it's considered a teray ketubah it's an automatic, Betim will enforce it that he has to redeem her and of course if he's a Yisrael he's able to Take her back," Amar Abudish Moel. "Eshet Israel she ne'ensah, asura leba'ana, haishinah shemat chilata be'ones ve'sofah be'rason." So the father of made the following statement that a wife of a Yisrael that was ne'ensah, she was violated, asura leba'ana, she's forbidden to her husband. Why? Haishinah, you suspect shemat chilata be'ones, maybe she started off. Honest, meaning it was against yeah. her will But maybe at the end of the bi'ah She ended up doing it willingly if She ended up doing it willingly She becomes a surah to her husband So Rav asks an obvious question To Abu Dishmuel from Amishnah Amishnah said Amishnah said That one of the conditions of the ketubah Is if you're taken into captivity I'm going to redeem you And take you back so you see what? That you don't say Tehilatoh beones vesofo vesofo <laughs> berason. So otherwise, you would be forbidden to take them back. Esh So Abud Shmuel kept quiet; he never an answered. Kar ilav aleh the Abud Shmuel. So Rav said regarding Abud Shmuel: Sarim atzru b'milim, which means the uh, the princes they stopped uh, the refrain from saying words. Vechav yasimud efihem, and they put their uh, their palm to their mouth, which means they don't have uh, they don't have an answer. So comes the um, <coughs> comes the Geman says, Ma eatle memor well what could have uh what can he have answered? What can have, what could he have said? Says, there's a difference Which means There's a case of a Shivuya, Which is our case In the Mishnah over there Where there was no witnesses but she was just taken into captivity Okay, so a lady that's just taken into captivity Then you assume that She was anusab The whole way through When you have the Aideem That come along and see That she was taken into captivity Then already you have to say That they uh, going be Mahmi, That maybe at the end She was a uh, it was done better so wanna make a difference whether it was witnesses or it was just done uh like our case over there. So the Gabon says, wait, Abu honest Sharia Rahmana Heki What's the case according to Shimuel, Abu Dishuael that is Matir and honest which means one of the one of the laws of the Torah is that an is permissible to a husband, but if according to Abu Dishmael, it's always taylato be honest v'sofab de rason. So how do you have a case? So the Gemara says again, with Abu Hashmuel, honest to Shadia Rakhmana, hechi What's the case of honesty according to Abu Dishmael? Kegon de ka'amre edim she savcha mitchilav The witnesses that saw are being taken into captivity. Saw so she was screaming. From the beginning to the end. So then we you know she is a anusa, ufliga derava. This statement is uh, going against Rava, which means Abu Dishmuel is arguing on Rava. Well, Why would Rava say that? Ma Rava, kosh t'chanata berasom, even if she starts off honest, and she ends off she's doing it willingly, afilu hi even if the girl, the lady says, hadiholo, leave me alone when he comes, she comes along and says, even if he didn't come after me, I would have hired him and paid him to do this to me. Which is you see clearly she wants to do it now willingly. Muter, she's even though you know it's beferush, it's she's doing it better. What's the reason? The Gemara says Yesir al Bishah. The Yitzra is on her, which means she started off be honest. But what happens after she's being uh, inside? The Yitzerah now starts to to take her, and therefore she wants to finish the BR. But uh, she's anusa. The Yitzchak now has uh, taken over. So that even though she's saying she wants it and she, she wants to she, she'll pay the guy, doesn't matter. That's considered. Still, she's being uh, possessed, so to speak, by the Yitzchak Rana. Tanya Kevat Ederavah. We have a right to support Ravah. The Heilonit nitpasa which means the Torah law. That tells us that a lady that was unfaithful to her husband is forbidden to her husband. That's only talking about in the case of Vihid lo pasa, Where she wasn't taken against her will. So Gebaraz says, Vihid lo pasa, She wasn't taken against her will. She wasn't grabbed. Literally, Asura. Then already she is forbidden. Muteret. But if she was taken against her will, so then she's muteret. Ve yesh aheret. There's another case. Shafar pasa, Even though she did it willingly. Muteret. Vezu, and what's that case? That even though she starts off on its hands of verasod, still according to this right, permissible, which is a proof to Ravat. Tanyaidah, we have another right to ve'ilonit pasa asura. Which means if she didn't do it, if she did it willingly, she's forbidden to her husband. Ha it pasa, But If she was by force, she is permissible. Ve'yesh dicha. There's another lady. Shafapishinit pasa, that even though it was uh, uh, against uh, her will, Asura, what's the case of a lady that goes with a man against her will? That's forbidden. There is, what's that? case? The wife of a queen, as we know, the wife of a queen has a different law. That even if she is the anusa is forbidden to the wife of a queen. So that's the edudesh, um, this of you, Amar Shemuel, Mosheur of Ishmael. a third interpretation of this passage. third interpretation If it wasn't against her will, Asura. Had it passed, Right, but if it was uh, against her, and she was uh, taken by force, she's permissible. The yeshla There's another type of lady shafmat Even though it was willingly muteret, she's permissible to go back to her husband. The what's the case? Zushi Taut. So about a case where a guy got married, let's say, and the Kedushin was Betaut. What do you mean Betaut? It was under the false pretext. They made a condition. I'll be Mikudish to you on the condition that you do such and such a thing. Right? And therefore well, that item was not uh, fulfilled. And what happened? This lady went now uh, willingly with another man. She went willingly with another man. you go willingly with another man, you can't go back to the original husband. But the original husband was not a husband in this case, because the Kedushin was never... Hal, because it was a conditional kiddushin. So there's a case where a, guy, a lady can go willingly with somebody else and still go back to her original husband. In which case, when the kiddushin was kiddushin Betaut. And the Gemara says, Even though, let's say, she has a son from the original guy, that the kiddushin was Betaut, and her son is on her shoulders. Doesn't matter. She's able to refuse the guy, but you say say, kiddushin is not hal, and leave. And then if she went with somebody else, willingly, it doesn't forbid her to go back to the original husband, because there was no condition. only time the osir a ser, a lady that goes willingly with someone else, if she, she's married. But this later, wasn't married, because the kiddushin was uh, retroactively, uh, was never uh, tofess. So that's a case of willingly. That's permissible to the original guy. comes comes and says, Amar of Yudah, Hani de these ladies that were stolen, which means they were, like they were kidnapped, they were taken uh, uh, as the captives, so they are permissible to their husbands, which means their situation over there is by force. So they can go back to their husbands. Oh, you see that when they're taken into the captivity by these thieves, they're feeding them, which means the women are bringing them bread, they're bringing their captors bread. So you see what? They're uh, as if they're acquiescing. It's like uh, willingly. So Why are they bringing the bread? Because they're scared. They're not bringing it because they're, uh, they're happy. The They're supplying them arrows. Which means when the uh, thieves are fighting, the women are going bringing them arrows to help, them, uh, to help their cause. So you see what? It's like acquiescence. Kabbalah mm-hmm. said, Of course, it's out of fear. Therefore, you have no ayat. Therefore, they're doing it against their will. Kabbalah Now, V'adai Shabkinu. But let's say, if the thieves free them, min shayu, and they go back to the thieves willingly, which is they don't accept their freedom, then already, Asira, then already, V'adai, they going to be a sunat because then already you see that they have a chance to go free, and they go back to the Gennadim, so that means they're doing it, they're not sold. Shivuye malchut. Those girl, ladies that are taken into captivity by the malchut, by the, by the government. Harehen kishvuyin. They are considered what? Like ladies that are uh, taken into, uh, captivities. Genuve lestut. However, if they are taken by thieves, enan kishvuyin. They are not considered like shivuyin, and therefore they're going to be asura to their husbands. Which means, the people, I want to make a haluk between taking into captivity by the king, the, the government, or taking into captivity by thieves. King, we're going to say it's against our will. But uh, thieves, willingly What's the logic? The Gabriel says, well, says It's the opposite mm. That we see in one case that what? When it comes to kings it's forbidden and When it comes to uh, uh, thieves It's permissible So what's the, uh, what's the, uh, the reconciliation? and Malchut la-Kasha <laughs> There's two different types of Malchut There's two different types of governments Hab Malchut Hab bin Nasir Malchut Is an example of the king, that he went with many uh, ladies and uh, he violated them, and he has no intention to marry them, he's just, uh, you know, uh, violating them. So therefore, a lady that gets taken in captivity by, for example, Malchut HaShverosh, she doesn't have any uh, uh, intent to ever be the queen. So therefore, she doesn't throw herself willingly... To the, to the king And therefore it's against the wills by force But a smaller kingdom like Ben that they call it Where there's a good chance that the king is going to marry her So therefore in order to become the, the queen She'll uh, give herself willingly And therefore she's going to be asura to her husband Look at that. as she says uh, <laughs> Look at hasverosh. It's the first word on the line Six lines then after they get white. But Magutas Vroz, Henkish Buin, if she mele gadonu, the your dach no you say. She knows yeah, he's not gonna marry her therefore she has a BIA against her will Ben Nasser, me he, he was a type of uh, thief and he conquered a lot of uh, cities and he ruled over them she thinks she thinks that there's a chance that Ben Netzer will marry her and therefore she does it so that's the answer to that now. Comes the other one says, Listot al listot la And also the steed that we have between the different type of thieves. Right? What type of thief we said she's permitted to go back to the No, one type of thief we said she's forbidden. What's the reconciliation? La kashya. Hab bibin nasir. Hab bibin esteem de alma. Which means now we make a haluk between bin nasir and regular, uh, regular uh, l- l- listot. As she explains, listot al listot. Bibin nasir asurot. Right again, because th- she thinks that she will get married by this guy kind of and therefore she does it willingly. However, next verse Afilu Likuhim Shelo Kashinla which means she don't want to marry regular thieves. Who's a regular thief to get married to? She's not happy if a regular thief going to marry her. So therefore, she does it against her will. But Benetzin, I guess it was a status, let's say, to marry uh, you know, king the, 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 the king. So therefore, she does not will because she thinks it's a chance. But she's going regular thieves. So therefore, there's no status to get married to these people. Therefore, she does it against her will. Therefore, she's, okay. she's, she's permissible. To our husband. Now, the Gemara has a side question. Make up your mind. Ben and what is he? Is he a thief or is he a king? Which means you put Ben Nitzin in both categories. Which means you call them king and you also call them a thief. So the Gemara says, it depends. It's relative. When you're comparing him to like Melchuta Hazverosh, say he's just like a uh, bandit, uh, Ben Nitsen. However, Gabran is but when you compare him to a, uh, other thieves, so Ben Netzer was more uh, powerful, and therefore they considered a king. So it's relative how you consider Ben The Gabe Ashvedosh is a thief, but the Gaber other thieves, he's considered a king.